All right. Am I coming through okay? Excellent. Well, hey, church, it's good to see you guys. We've got about 10 people in this room right now, um, so <laughs> no more than 10, I don't think. But uh, So I do have somebody like live that I can see to preach to, but I know there's a lot more of you out there, and uh, it's kind of an odd feeling, like I said earlier. But, uh, but knowing that you're there and that we are gathering around worshiping God this morning and His word is, uh, is a comforting thing, that there's still unity, that in this uh, weird time that we can still connect with one another digitally. So hopefully um, you're enjoying the time, that you're encouraged and challenged by this time and reminded of our common faith in Jesus Christ. So, um, well, hey, um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the coronavirus this morning, uh, because I'm sure that, uh, I'm sure that we... Uh, We've had enough of that. So, <laughs> but what we need to do in times like these, um, I, I, I think what happens is our, where our hope and our security lies is really uh, revealed to us during times like this um, and to others and to the world around us. And so what we need to do when the world seems crazy and things are out of control is we need to anchor ourselves to God and his word and his truth. He has the answers, even if we don't have the answers. And so um, we can trust that he is good, that he is God, and that he is in control. And so uh, that's what we're going to do this morning. With that said, we're going to kick off a new series. So you might have noticed that we had a new uh, sermon bumper, video bumper, and we have a, uh, we have a new slide. Um, we have spent uh, the last 10 to 12 weeks going through uh, the first four chapters of Romans, uh, throughout those chapters, God spoke uh, through the Apostle Paul. He, he, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome to show us that every person, whether they were a Jew, whether they were a Gentile, that every person is a sinner and they fall short of God's standard of righteousness. And he explains that there's only one person who satisfied uh, God's standard of righteousness. Uh, and satisfied the righteous requirements of the law, and that is Jesus Christ. Um, he is the chosen one, and he is absolutely perfect in every single way. And he showed how we can obtain righteousness, not by what we do, but by placing our faith in Christ alone. And Christ went to the cross. He died the death that we should have died, so he died in our place. And then he demonstrated his authority over all things by rising from the grave. And as we place our faith in him, we, we are declared righteous. We have a righteous standing with God. Um, so, while we are guilty people, while we are sinners— um, we are that no longer by placing our faith in Jesus. We are declared not guilty um, as we place our faith in the one who became sin for us on the cross. Another way to say this is that we're declared righteous. And that's an important phrase that uh, I'm going to hit on this morning as we dive into Romans chapter 5. And that's an amazing gift that we're declared righteous. There's nothing we could have done on our own to achieve that righteousness. Um, it is something that is just given to us as we trust in Christ by faith. We receive forgiveness of, of sins, and then God looks at us, and he says, you are now righteous in my sight. But as we're about to see, that's just the start of the Christian life. It's just the beginning. Uh, it's not just about forgiveness, um, but it's the start of our walk with God. So starting in chapter 5, we're transitioning from a theme of a guilty person being made right with God to the benefits we now see because we're right with God. So 
Paul has spent a lot of time saying, okay, this is how you're made right with God. Now that you're right with God, what are some of the benefits of that? What, what do we see um, that are the benefits for you because you're right with God? So I'm going to read through the passage. Um, we're, in, we're in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Um, but before we do that, let's go ahead and pray together one more time. Let's bow our heads. Father God, um, thank you for this letter that, that Paul wrote, but that you inspired. It is full of truth. It is, it's weighty, but it is so good, and it is so rich, and it is uh, our pleasure and our privilege to read through it and be reminded of your love for us, of your righteousness and your goodness, and how you amazingly accomplished all things on our behalf for our sake, because you are just, you're good, and it's not of our own doing, it's of your doing. We thank you so much for that. I pray, Lord, that the truths in these 11 verses would impact our hearts, and it wouldn't just, uh, it wouldn't just be this head knowledge, but Lord, that you would um, help it translate to action, that you would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I, I don't know if I, I mentioned, but our, our new mini-series is called Romans Part 2, Peace. And uh, you're about to see why. If you have your Bibles, you can read with me. Uh, we also, so I'm going to say a couple things we don't normally hit because you all are remote, except for you 10 in front of me. Um, but uh, uh, starting, uh, you can actually uh, go to the hub, uh, involvechurch.com slash hub. Uh, and then click message plus notes. There's a button there. That'll uh, get you a spot where you can actually uh, tap a button and open up Romans 5 and have some notes to go along with everything. You can also open the Version app. If you have the Version app on your phone, you can open that, hit more, then hit events, and uh, you should be able to find Involved Church in there and follow along there if you don't have a Bible in front of you. Um, also, in your chat window, if you're at live.involvedchurch.com, you can tap Bible. Uh, there's a tab, like I should be your lower, lower right-hand corner, tap Bible, and you can follow along there if you don't have a Bible. Um, so, ready? All right, let's go, ahead, let's go ahead and read Romans 5, verse 1. Here, here is what it says. Oh, and before I do that, we are going to, sorry, <laughs> before I do that, we are going to do uh, live questions. So, whatever avenue you're using, you can text, um, uh, that's the easiest way for us to get your, your question. But if you have a question, um, go ahead and text it to 208-205-9771, and we will take questions at the end and try to answer those for you. And so we want to continue that practice. It seems like that's been encouraging to a lot of people. So um, go ahead and text your question in. All right, with that said, let's go ahead and read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It says this, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, has, who was given to us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners— 
Christ died for us. How much more then? How much more then? (laughs) Sorry, our slides are a little off there. How much more then, since we have been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So Paul starts out by saying, therefore, and uh, if if you study the Bible and how to like kind of follow a train of thought, especially with Paul, uh, you always, when you hit that word therefore, you always say, what's a therefore? Therefore. Have you heard that phrase before? What's a therefore? Therefore. Uh, and what's going on here uh, is why is there a therefore? What is the foundation of support, uh, of support for the argument that he's about to make moving forward? And uh, that therefore in verse in verse 1, Paul has spent all of chapter, the chapters 1 through 4 leading up to this point, and he's now transitioning. And so he's signaling to us that everything that I have just established up to this point, in chapters 1 through 4, up to this point, is the foundation for what I'm about to assert, okay? So, and what's great is we actually see right there, right after therefore, he restates all of chapters 1 through 4 very succinctly. He says, since we have been declared righteous by faith. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, and everything that follows is a result of being declared righteous by faith. Uh, Another way to translate that, therefore, having been declared righteous by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, This this is such an important spot. I I just want to pause for a second and say, look, we have been declared righteous. That's phrased in such a way that it is a point in the past. God has accomplished it. It is done. It is finished. You are declared righteous by faith. You have been made right with God in his sight. You are righteous if you place your faith in Jesus Christ. It is done. That is really important because Paul is saying it is finished. It is done. And now because of this finished act, Here's all of these things moving forward. And so that's important for us to understand as we're moving forward. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor, but it is because of the the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've been declared righteous. It's finished. He accomplished it. If you place your faith in Jesus, you are righteous in God's sight. Uh, And now that you're viewed as righteous, God says you have four things as a result of being right with him. And so we're going to walk through those things. The first thing that we have is, is peace. And man, I can't read my slides because they're really small with the screen I have. Okay, I can read it there. Good. Uh, so uh, the first thing is peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there are, uh, so there's a lot of ways to define peace today. Would you guys uh, agree with me that in general, I'm talking to you people in the room here, in general, a modern day definition, definition of peace would be absence of conflict? Like there's no conflict? Okay. Okay. That's what I thought too. Like, it seems like that would be a good contemporary definition of peace. Most people would agree that, yeah, it's the absence of conflict. Um, This word that's used here means so much more than just the simple absence of conflict. Uh, So when we look at the word in, in, in Greek, it's irene. And we look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament, wherever irene is used, 
is actually, uh, there's, a, there's a Hebrew word that is used for this, uh, this word. Um, and it's, it's corresponding Hebrew word you've probably heard before. It's shalom. Okay, anyone heard shalom before? Almost everybody, when I say shalom, they go, ha, ah, that's really funny. Um, but this word is a profound word. This word, what Paul is saying is when you have peace with God, when you have irony or shalom with God, he's saying that God has given you shalom. He's accomplished that for you. Your broken relationship with God has been made whole. It's now complete. And more than this, because of your restored relationship with God, your overall well-being has been accomplished because of that restored relationship with God. That is huge. That is a huge gift that God has accomplished on our behalf. He restored that relationship. And then Paul goes on to say in verse two, this, we have also, this is the second benefit, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul is pointing out that not only did you receive grace on the first day when your sins were forgiven. So you got forgiveness, and that forgiveness was completely of the grace of God. You didn't deserve it. It was unmerited favor. Um, But he's also saying that you receive access by faith in Christ to ongoing daily grace. Uh, This is another way. uh, So the way this is phrased in this, in verse two, is that it's it's an ongoing thing. So you, you entered into the grace of God, and it's this ongoing thing that you rely on day by day. So Paul's saying that by saying that you as a believer in Christ stand in this grace, he's saying that it's by the grace of God in Christ that you remain faithful to God, living for him day by day. He is the one that gives you everything you need to not only be saved, but also to continue living for him. And it says that we're to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, so that word there, uh, that word rejoice, is, is the same word I got to preach on like three or four weeks ago when I said a lot about boasting. That word is boast. And, uh, and, and really the word here does have both connotations. Uh, it, it does have the, the, the thought and the, and the connotation of rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, but also boasting in the hope of the glory of God. Paul's saying that as a result of being declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God, we have daily access to grace, that we need to live for him. And because of these things, we boast, we rejoice, we speak about what God has done. And not only that, that hope of the glory of God, we look forward to that day when we're gonna see God face to face, when we get to see his glory. Um, That is a result of being declared righteous. So let me ask you something. Um, how do you respond to difficult circumstances in life? Some of you feel like we're going through really difficult circumstances in life right now. Some of you are. Some of you have lost your jobs. Some of you um, are really struggling right now. I'm um, going through health problems. Um, how do you respond to difficult circumstances in life? Do you buckle under the pressure? Um, I know some people just like to get a good cry out. <laughs> That's one way to respond to difficult circumstances. Do you lean on somebody else? Maybe you uh, find a distraction from the difficulty. Uh, you sit down and you're like, I'm going to Netflix binge. And I'm just going to let the episodes wash over me. <laughs> Not the best way to deal with probably difficult circumstances in life. Um, some of you probably feel like you're watching a Netflix thing right now. It's kind of odd, isn't it? 
Um, hopefully it's a little, little more encouraging and edifying than that. But uh, sometimes uh, when we encounter trials in this life, we find ourselves restless, right? When we hit difficult circumstances, we're restless and we run from that difficulty and we want to try to resolve it as quickly as possible, whether our our method or path to resolution is, is a, it's a good way to resolve that difficult circumstance or not. And other times we just tackle it head on. And we're like, I'm just going to plow my way through this difficult circumstance in life, okay? And I'm just going get, to get done with it. Um, we may not be thrilled about that, but we, we just do it, right? Uh, I, I, Paul is suggesting, we're going to read it in a second, but Paul is suggesting that that is, that is not God's plan for how those who follow Jesus walk through difficult circumstances in life is to just get through it. Paul's already said that we are going to have peace, shalom with God. And at this point, it's clear that he's anticipating that some people will think that he means there's not going to be any struggles. Everything's going to be good. I'll never encounter difficult circumstances in life. Um, Or that maybe I will prosper materially, Uh, I'm never going to face anything difficult. But Paul wants to make it absolutely clear that it is not our circumstances that give us peace. It is not our circumstances that give us hope. What gives us hope and peace is our restored relationship with God. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 together. He says, not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. God's plan is not just to get us through the afflictions and the trials. That, that, is, that is a very short-sighted, um, limited view of, of the life that God intends for those who follow Christ. Instead, He's showing us that affliction is used to shape us. Affliction is used to, to refine us, to shape our character. Um, one, uh, uh, the question I'm confronted with as I, as I read these verses, I was just wrestling with these, um, I, I stated it earlier, is how do I respond to difficulty in life? Uh, a lot of times I personally don't see difficult circumstances as God's using that to shape me and to make me more like Jesus and is a good thing that's going to build my character. I don't, I don't view it in that way in the, in the moment. Um, but that is, that is what it is. There, there's people in our church right now that have stories that they could tell you of how God has used very difficult trials and circumstances uh, to, to shape and to mold them. And, you know, um, trials in this life also remind us of something else. Uh, they remind us that this world is not very good. They remind us that this is not our home, that this is not all there is. Um, and that when God created it, it, is, it, it was very good and that it is not that way anymore. And that one day, you and I who trust in Christ will be free from all of the pain, all of the sorrow, and all of those old things, the pain, the sorrow, the tears, all of those things will pass away. And we are going to enjoy a restored relationship with God. We are going to re- enjoy a world that is redeemed and is like God fully intended, very good. We long for that day. Everything will be as it was meant to be in that day. And that is what we hope for. 
So when Paul is talking about this hope that we look forward to, that is what he's talking about. And over time, through trials, through afflictions, we persevere, we develop character, and we remain faithful to God and his word. Even as we do those things, we continually more so look forward to that day when we will be face-to-face with God and everything will be made right. That is our hope that we look forward to. And as Paul talks about that hope, what we hope for, and what we increasingly long for, he says this in verse 5. Let's look at it together. Verse 5, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this word, disappoint, literally means uh, this hope will not put us to shame. Uh, and so what, what Paul is talking about here uh, uh, is that we're not going to be ashamed for what we hope for, what we long for, because we're going to receive it one day. We will, we will see a world made new. We will see God face to face. We will be free of sin and death and sorrow. That will not be a part of our existence one day, and we hope for that. We, that hope does not put us to shame. And he lists two reasons why. Uh, because the Holy Spirit has been given to us, and as we live out this life, sharing the same love of God that has been shown to us and to others, that's a living testimony that God's Spirit has been given to us. So as we show that love, it's a demonstration that God's Spirit lives in us. And look, when you're saved, there's, there, there should be, over time, a dramatic transformation in your life. You should go from a selfish person to a person who is loving other people and loving God. And that is the demonstration that there is a living Holy Spirit within you. And that that hope that you place in Christ for the future won't put you to shame because the Holy Spirit is living and active in you. And next, uh, we're going to talk more about that foundation Um, that allows us to know that we will one day receive all that we hope and long for. So he mentions the first thing, which is the Holy Spirit, mentioned that. But more than empowering us to just live the life that God meant for us to live, the Holy Spirit also inwardly testifies to God's love toward us. So I I realize uh, that the Holy Spirit being something that um, that just tells us of God's love for us, that can be a very subjective thing. That can be something that is... uh, it goes, it comes and goes with emotions. Um, but the Holy Spirit is a special, is a very special and unique thing. Uh, if you are a believer in Christ, the, the Spirit of God, his Holy Spirit has been given to you and it holds you fast to the fact that God loves you. That's what Paul's saying here. The Holy Spirit inwardly testifies that God loves us. And the second thing that Paul states that allows us to know that we will one day receive all that we hope and long for is Christ himself. So look at this, verse 6. Read verse 6 with me. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So here we find out that God meets, uh, meets us when we were helpless, meaning we were unable to generate our own righteousness. Um, but the second thing that... that uh, that tells us that we will one day receive all that we hope and long for is Christ himself. Christ died for the ungodly. So he says right here, 
God meets us when we are helpless. And, and all he means by that is that we were unable to generate our own righteousness. God looked at us before we placed our faith in Christ and he saw unrighteousness. But at the right time, at the time appointed in history, when everything prophesied about the coming Christ would be perfectly fulfilled, he came. Jesus came, he stepped down into time and then he died. But he didn't die for the righteous. He died for people who Paul says are ungodly, which are rebels against God, people who have rejected him. He died for those people who rejected him. He died for the same people he came to show the love of God to who turned their face and sent him to a cross. He died for you and he died for me. And and then he goes on to say in verse 7, Rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. So if I was to ask you if you would die for the most important person in your life, I'm guessing you would probably say yes. (laughs) Okay? Uh, If I was to say, hey, would you die for your wife or your kids? My guess is you'd say yes in a heartbeat. If I were to ask you why would you die for that person, you might tell me something like, well, I, I love them with all my heart. I, I care about them. Uh, and so I, I would die for them, certainly, out of love for them. Here in this passage, Paul is saying that rarely will someone die for a person out of respect for them. But it is a possibility that someone might choose to die for someone that they love. Uh, now, there's some debate on exactly what he means, but that's one way to, one way to read it. Uh, but the point actually is, is, is not this particular verse. What Paul is doing is he's making a contrast here. I don't want us to miss the point. It's understandable that I might die for my wife and my children. Okay, people look at that and they'd go, yeah, of course he would die for his wife and his children. He loves them, but that's not what Christ did. What he did is far beyond simply dying for people that are worthy of respect or even people that I should love. He died for people that were rebels against him. He died for people that reject him. He died for people that scripture says are his enemies. And he died for sinners, which that's you and that's me. We are sinners. And yet, while we were still still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at verse Eight with me. God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is the the living demonstration of God's love for you. If you doubt even for a moment that God loves you, just look at the cross where Jesus died in your place. Know and understand and love the fact that God loves you, not with a love like this world loves, but with his pure and perfect love. It is a totally different love than we can even conceive of, and yet, and yet God has demonstrated, demonstrated it in Jesus on the cross. He didn't wait for you to clean up your act. He didn't wait for you to figure out this mess of a life that you have, and he didn't wait for you to understand all of the theology in the world. He stepped into the world knowing full well all of the garbage in your life. He He knew all of your darkest secrets, and he knew full well that you only have just a little bit of a glimpse of how bad you actually are. And John puts it this way in John 3, 16. Knowing all of that, he said, God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. 
Paul's saying that uh, God is giving this as a gift to you today. Not of anything that you've done, knowing everything that is horrible about you, that you're a sinner. But he has loved you in the most profound way and he sacrificed his one and only son for you and for me because we are in desperate need and that that fact brings us peace with God. We are made whole, we are made complete, and we are restored by the love of God. And that brings us to our big idea for for today. True peace is found in Christ, so put your trust in Christ alone. True peace is found in Christ, so put your trust in Christ alone. So Paul at this point begins to shift his thoughts a little bit, though all of this is related. But he starts using a new word, uh, in the passage, the word is reconciliation, which is, uh, which is an amazing word. It's a really, really important word. This, this idea of reconciliation is a huge deal. Uh, one commentator defines reconciliation like this. It's defined as a change from enmity to friendship. It is mutual. It is a change wrought in both parties who have been at enmity. So literally, you and I were enemies of God when we were unrighteous in his sight. That was our state. There was a hostility between, uh, between you and between God, between me and between God before we were in Christ. And Paul starts talking about reconciliation. Let's see what he says in verse 9. He says this, How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? Uh, that's another way of saying that at the end of all things, when, when God judges all people, we are sa- saved from a guilty verdict because Christ took that guilty verdict uh, and, and he took the sentence for us as well, which is death. And so, uh, and so that guilty verdict and the, and the sentence that we should have received, it's taken care of. It's finished in Christ's death on the cross and we don't have to face God's wrath. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, if For if, while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And here we learn uh, how we're saved from God's eventual wrath in in verse 9. It's by being reconciled to God through the death of his son. But the amazing thing about about this statement that, that Paul is making is not just that we're saved from God's wrath which is an amazing thing. But it's that our, our status, uh, it shifts. Our status with God shifts. We go from two parties who are at war with one another, and we are completely in the wrong when you consider those two parties. God is completely in the right, we're completely in the wrong, and we're at war. We're at enmity with God. Our status changes to two parties who are friends. And another way of saying it is, you were once an enemy of God, but you're now a friend of God. That is reconciliation. Uh, And it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. God has accomplished this for us through the death of Christ and his resurrection. And, uh, And that statement, then how much more having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Um, just as we're saved from God's wrath because his wrath has been poured out in Christ, we're saved for eternal life because we're linked to Christ in his resurrection power. He, he means that literally, by the way. Uh, you and I identify with Christ um, 
because we identify with Christ, we will one day not just be spiritually alive, but we will physically be alive. We will have new bodies. Uh, we will be more physically alive than uh, we can possibly imagine. Um, and we look forward to that day. And it's all because Jesus is alive and we are linked to him in his death and in his life. And then lastly, Paul says this in verse 11. Not only that, okay, here's another benefit. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. There's that word again, rejoice. Remember what I said earlier, that word is boast. We boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so it is, what is our privilege? Um, our privilege is to talk and to rejoice in all day long, Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. And I, I believe that is Paul's challenge to us as we're going through verses 1 through 11, and he's leading up to this final point that we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We, our challenge is to boast in Jesus. It's our joy to do that every moment of every day. We speak of him because we're no longer enemies. We have daily access to grace. We have peace regardless of life's circumstances. In fact, we now view life's circumstances as not something to just get through, but as something that God uses to, to grow us and also as a way to remind us that one day, we will see God face to face and the afflictions and the trials of this life are going to be a distant memory. We are constantly reminded of that in this world. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And as we have peace through whatever circumstance in life, it becomes a living testimony and also a verbal testimony as we explain why we have peace in every circumstance in life to others around us that God has accomplished reconciliation with us to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is an amazing thing. And we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're at peace. So that said, um, it's time to think about how we can apply this to our lives. Obviously, there's a lot of things to think about. <laughs> we, can, we can think about this and we can just sift through this and allow it to soak into our minds and our hearts. Uh, but uh, with this time to respond, I just want to take a couple minutes with you this morning, and um, I, I want you to think through these things. I'm going to have to turn around because I can't, I can't read that there, but um, the first thing is, how do you handle trials and afflictions in life? Okay, I asked that question earlier. Take a moment to pray about your current situation and reflect on how God might be using it to refine you. It could be the current circumstances that our world is in. Uh, you may be experiencing some real difficulty because of the circumstances we're in right now. Um, it could be because of your health. Um, you might be facing some sort of persecution in your life. That, that could be um, something you're facing. How do you handle that? How do you respond to that? Take a moment to pray about that. The second thing is, who might you rejoice in Christ with? Who might you tell about how God has given you peace with him? Pray for that person now and begin making plans to bless them this week, showing them the same love that God has shown to you. Uh, I, so this could be a believer. Um, there's, there's believers out there right now, um, even in our own church, who need some encouragement. And so 
we need to just revel in the joy that we have in Christ with one another. We need to talk about the joy that we have in Christ with one another. We need to remind each other that no matter the circumstance, we have peace with God. And that's, a, that's a, an amazing thing. And so you could do this with a, with a believer who needs some encouragement right now. You could do it with somebody. This is a great time to share Christ with somebody and to talk about the joy that he brings to your life. And so uh, that's, that's an option too. So we're going to take a couple minutes. I want to challenge you to just pray and reflect on these things. And then we'll take questions at the end. I want to walk with you, Jesus Feel your presence And know you're near I want to see you, Jesus Move in power And cast out fear I need to hear you now I need to know it's you I'm standing on your promises I know your word is true You're bigger than what I see It's you in exchange for me Cause even the impossible Can be reality Jesus, I believe Jesus, I believe I want to say what you're saying Speaking life to what is dead And I want to cling to you, Jesus Hanging on your every breath I need to hear you now I need to know it's you I know your words are true You're bigger than what I see And it's you in exchange for me Deceiving the impossible is your But we're back? Yes. All right. Cool. Well, hey, thanks, uh, Pastor Luke. Appreciate you leading us through a uh, great passage. Uh, that is one of those kind of passages. If you're ever just like, hey, I need to share the gospel with somebody, go to Romans chapter 5, uh, 1 through 11, and, and uh, talk them through that. That's a fantastic one. So thank you for that. A lot of fun. I, I yeah. loved it. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was my, that's the first message I've ever preached in my life when I was in high school. Uh, I was given the opportunity and pick that one. So it's, uh, I know last week you're special. like, Hey, no pressure, but this is my favorite <laughs> passage of scripture ever. Luke. So, I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Not my favorite up. one. So, so. You don't mess it up. So, um, Hey, well, we had a few questions come in. I'm going to spend time on one main question and you can definitely, um, uh, just speak into this if you'd like to. Here's what it has to say. You say God uses trials and afflictions to mold us and use us as examples. I often feel like I've been given more than my share of heartache and pain. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God will never give you more than you can handle, but sometimes it feels like too much. How do we handle that feeling? So... um, yeah, that's a great point, I think, in here. 
trials produce perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. I learned in a different past or a different translation, so yeah. I have to remember those words. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that that's a great res- response or a good question to that, that one. Um, I have a couple thoughts I wanted to share with you. One, in our culture, um, and it's probably not just our culture, I think it's been ongoing for a while, but certainly for us, it seems like we always have to put on this uh, front like everything is perfect in our lives. And even with God, we do that to some extent. And now even more so with social media, um, you can kind of get one or the other. Sometimes you can get like the perfect picture, and then sometimes you get the picture that everything's falling apart in a person's life. Um, but I think one of the things that we don't talk a lot about in church, and we need to, uh, we've tried to do that here more and more, is this whole idea of how to lament and talk to God. And the question was, well, how do you deal with that feeling, that emotion? And God is emotional. Yes. I, I think sometimes we think he's not, but, but he has emotions. He talks about it in Scripture. And one of the things that he um, has demonstrated to us is like through David, mm-hmm. where uh, in Psalm 13, David cries out, and just listen to these words, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? That's a person going through a trial, feeling that way. How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me, consider me, and answer, Lord, my God, restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death? I think that feels like a person who wants to have joy again. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken, but I have trusted in your faithful love. And here's, here's the key part. Goes through and, and expresses what they're feeling, but I've trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. And that's what lamenting does. It takes you through the heartache and the crying and the agony, and you give that before God, and then you settle in the simple fact that he is good, and he does love us, and he does care for us. We may not see it all the time. It may hurt, but he is still there. And he takes care of us more than he takes care of the birds, the, the, the flowers in the field, all those types of things. And so that's what lamenting does. And I would just encourage anybody who's feeling like, oh, there's such a heavy weight with everything going on, or maybe personally you've got some things going on, cry out to God. That's where we need to go. And he helps us with our feelings. So that's what I was thinking. I don't know if you want to add to that. No, that's really good. Um, you know, I just want to reiterate, I already said it, but I want to reiterate that it's also a reminder that this world is messed up. When God said it's very good, and when we look around us and we go, this is not very good. What I'm going through is not very good. What is going on here? Um, that, That is a reminder that this world is broken. And, uh, and, and it ultimately it, it was our doing going way, way back <laughs> in the garden. Um, and, but that God is going to one day make all things right. Um, and yeah. he's not without sympathy or empathy even because right. he himself suffered yeah. greatly. And so, uh, so he is a God who knows what suffering is. He yeah. knows what lamenting is. Um, and yeah. so Absolutely. you're not going through it alone. His own son died on the cross. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, we could go on probably yeah, forever could, on this you one, could go on, yeah. um, but he is a God who hears you and Absolutely. yeah, yeah we'll give yeah. you the strength. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, you just made reference there to Hebrews two, I think, um, 
where he is able to, to empathize, sympathize with us because he, he came to this earth and uh, went through everything. So that's great. Well, there are several other questions that we're just going to get to this week. Um, some here on like assurance of salvation. How do you know for sure? Or will God keep forgiving you? Some about the Trinity and things like that. So uh, we just spent a lot of time on that one because I think that's a very relevant question, especially going through what we're going through um, today and so forth. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time on that. But uh, we'll, we'll deal with the other ones this week. Yeah. So that awesome. Cool. Well, we're going to transition into worship. Yeah. You pray for us yeah I. I wanted to go ahead, before we do that, probably just a few things. One, uh, you're joining with us today. Thank you so much for for tuning in. Uh, at, at Involved Church, one of the things I just want to remind you is that, obviously, to keep doing what we're doing, it's going to take some help and prayer and financial giving. So if you can give online, that would be helpful. Uh, if you want to send your checks in, you could do that, bill pay, you know, all those types of things. But but help us out that way. Uh, we still have, have those bills to pay, so I want to uh, remind you of those things. Um, and then also, hey, just... 